So, so let's get into chapter four. I don't think this will be as long as chapter three, um, but I want to read this first part. And there's this, this one quote in here I think is, is the most relevant. And, you know, we could do a whole episode and probably 10 just on this one quote and all the examples of it. But so chapter so, four is so, called. Yeah. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. No, I didn't know if you're going to get hit the title. So the title yep. is super important here. <laughs> yeah. So chapter four is called the inevitability of planning because one of the arguments that Hayek was seeing like promulgated over and over and over again was people were saying, look, this is inevitable. Like, this is just what happens. Like, this is the the natural evolution of um, capitalism. Like, and, and if and if you don't think this is where we have to go, um, then then you're totally wrong. Because there's other people saying, actually, what's going on in Nazi Germany is a natural outgrowth of capitalism. And, like, we don't want to be Nazis. And so planning is what's going to rescue us, you know, from Nazism, which is, of course, insane. Um, but so he's, say, he's addressing people who think this is inevitable. It's what we have to do. It's just become an axiom. It's what we have to do. It's kind of like you know systemic racism today. It's like people just say it or assert it, um, you know, as such, you know, as a metaphysic or something that without necessarily trying to prove it. Um, so the quote is: "It is a revealing fact that few planners are content to say that central planning is desirable. So they don't just say this is what we want. Um, instead, they say most of them affirm that we can no longer choose." but are compelled by circumstances beyond our control to substitute planning for competition. Um, so not competition, we're gonna have planning instead. The myth is deliberately cultivated that we are embarking on the new course, not out of free will, but because competition is spontaneously eliminated by technological advances, which we can neither reverse nor should wish to prevent. Of the various arguments employed to demonstrate the inevitability of planning, the one most frequently heard is that technological changes have made competition impossible in a constantly increasing number of fields, and that the only choice left to us is between control of production by private monopolies and direction by the government. So monopoly of corporations or monopoly of government. It's the only choice we have, false binary. This belief derives mainly from the Marxist doctrine of the concentration of industry. Although, like so many Marxist ideas, it is now found in many circles which have received it at third and fourth hand and do not know whence it derives. That's the, the end part there. It's like, can I get an amen? This is this idea Hallelujah. that this is inevitable. Yeah, hallelujah. This idea that planning is inevitable, that um, capitalism leads to concentration of wealth at the top and leads to these monopolies you know, through technological advances. So we don't want to stop technological advances, but it's going to lead to these monopolies. And so we have to do something about that. Um, and so this is inevitable. And Hayek is saying, also, by the way, this is Marxism. Um, and so all these people arguing for it are arguing, you know, one of Marx's ideas uh, about this, you know, concentration at the top. And, but, you know, like so many of Marx's ideas. So Hayek is saying, so this is, you know, when we first started, this was in the 30s. And then now we're in, when it's published in 44, where he's saying, like so many of Marx's ideas, he's, he's seeing it then too. People are getting it third and fourth hand and they don't know they're arguing for Marxism. Um, which is, again, even then is a testament to how well this ideology was able to insert itself and hijack so many other good things like liberalism or, or something like that, or freedom or liberty or equality. So people had no idea they're arguing for Marxism. But he's saying, like, as an aside, this is Marxist, and you have no idea you're arguing for Marxism, but let's address this I, this notion that this is inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean um... – I also do like the the part you bolded just because so many people don't understand 
the talking points. Like that's the problem with talking points is they sometimes come from really uh, bad people who you don't probably don't want to associate yourself with. So I think of like now, like the big lie, you know, they're attributing mm. that to Trump. Yeah. They don't understand they're mimicking a, a Nazi talking point made, made famous by Hitler. It's like, uh, probably work on your branding a bit there. Um, but I think the, I would argue it's very on brand. Oh, wait, yeah. I mean, probably not what they want, but, uh, I mean, truth comes out in, in various different ways, I suppose. But, um, yeah, so, so it is amazing that people don't really understand uh, the kind of the origins of a lot of their, their talking points and where that comes from. Um, I also loved the part with the technological changes. I mean, he really harps on the, the technological aspects um, in, in this part of the book, uh, you know, the, the options of, of having a, a, cap, a, a free market monopoly versus, you know, instead of the argument against a free market monopoly always tends to be a, a public monopoly. Like that, those are your, your two options. And you say that's that false binary. And you know, there's a third option that, you know, they did, uh, you know, I don't remember if it's the early 1900s or, or uh, 20s. I don't remember when it was, but when the Luddites were around and they're bashing up all the equipment because they were scared that this equipment's taking my job. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's another option there that we don't want to use. Uh, but we, we got to stand back and realize, and there's another quote here that goes on monopolies. is like, how do they form? Like there's this big... You know, in the, the 20th century, there's this big scare of monopolies uh, and how they form. And I think he goes on here. So if I can continue uh, with the quote. Go for it. Anything else? Um, so he quotes here. Uh, it should be noted moreover, moreover that monopoly is frequently the product of factors other than lower costs of a greater size. So when you think of monopoly at lower cost, greater size, think Amazon, right? They're able to ship out all these parts because they, they, can, they have so many uh, logistic lines that allow them to get all this product normally at a higher cost. I think like uh, big stores like Costco, you know, at a higher volume, you're able to sell things at a lower cost, but that is not not really the factor that creates monopolies here. So he continues by saying it is attained through collusive agreements and promoted by public policies. When these agreements are invalidated and when these policies are reversed, competition, co competitive conditions can be restored. So what he's saying here is more often than not, monopolies are not created in a free market. They're created in the absence of a free market. They're created by colluding with the government. Amazon has no issue. And I'm not here to pick on Amazon. I think great company. I use them all the time. But Amazon, an example of someone, when you talk about fight for 15, like they're like, I'm all for it. Like we, you think that our competitors, our little mom and pop shops that can't utilize these logistical lines like we can, you think they can survive at $15 an hour to pay their high school kids? Like they can't. So all you're doing yep. is helping us eliminate competition. That's one way that you see the free market get in bed uh, with public policymakers to eliminate this competition. And we got to think about it this way. Does this policy help competition or eliminate it? And when it eliminates it, we need to at least look at the, the underlying facts and look at, say, what are the means to get to this end? And that's why people like I imagine you do and I do. I'm not for a fight for 15 because the means to get there are not worth the ends. Totally. Well, I'm, I'm not for any minimum wage, um, but, but yeah, absolutely. I would fight for zero. Um, but zero, zero, as Thomas Sowell says, the minimum wage is always zero. Yep, yep, exactly. You can get fired. Um, <laughs> Yep. So, so anyway, but, but yeah. And so like he has, he's addressing this so much of, of well, it's in the title of the chapter, but so much chapter four is about, you know, quote, inevitable, inevitability, what's inevitable, what isn't. And he's like, here are the things you're theorizing are inevitable. Right. And let's look at the things that actually are inevitable based on evidence where we've seen it. And he, and he's like, so where we've seen it, the evidence is, is that monopolies form 
actually not from a free market, but from collusion with the government. So that's what is probably inevitable, is that there. Um, your theories of what are inevitable are technology advances and it's gonna lead to you know consolidation at, at the top and lead to lack of um, competition. And so it's gonna lead to monopolies. You know, and, and just a few thoughts on that is like, okay, so in, at the end of the 18th century, right? Like 1790s, Thomas Malthus says, hey, look, we're making all these short-term gains in progress, um, but we're gonna have massive starvation and food shortages here before long, you know? And so he had this idea of this is inevitable. So we have to do something, the government has to do something and no such thing happened, you know? And the same arguments against technology and like, oh, we had, the government has to get involved because technological growth is gonna destroy all these industries you know, the Henry Ford quote is, you know, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And, you know, there's this idea that the consumers and that the, the market a lot of times are, are not the market, but just consumers generally are really good at describing problems, but they're not so good at, at figuring out what the solutions are. That's what the market is for. That's what entrepreneurship and freedom um, and, and industry is for, is figuring out those solutions. Henry Ford's like, I know what people's problem is. They need a faster way to get around. Um, and so it's not that they need a faster horse, they just need a faster way to get around. And so these people have this idea that technolo technology and stuff leads inevitably to monopolies. It's like, no, freedom leads to technology and technology leads to more advances in freedom and more methods of people to prosper and then to also explore their own entrepreneurial and innovative avenues as they see fit. You know, again, the airplane was invented by these bicycle shop owners, the Wright brothers. And so like they have this concept of inevitability. And oh, and by the way, we've seen this argument today, right? People would say about self-driving trucks. Um, so this is what Andrew Yang was all about um, in this last, oh, self-driving trucks are gonna kill the trucking industry. That's why we have to have UBI. It's like, I don't hear anyone talking about that anymore. You know why? Because I don't see any self-driving trucks dominating the highways. Like maybe they will, maybe they're somewhere, but it, for something that was such a, ter a terrible emergency, that self-driving trucks, this is gonna happen. We have to have UBI. I'm not hearing anyone talking about it. So it's like, okay, either you're wrong, which you should address, um, or you're lying, which we should address, right? But, but either way, it's like this argument that technology or all these things are inevitable. And so we have to, the government has to do something there. It's like, that's not the case. And, and, uh, but again, it's, this, it's, the, it's the rhyme. It's the same arguments, just in a different context that this will lead to monopolies. And so once again, like Hayek is laying out, okay, so we have a road that we can look back and we can, gather empirical concrete evidence make you know surface level like face value observations about what this did you know liberalism freedom you know we can have mutually beneficial transactions between each other what did that create and so let's look at evidence and then there's these other people who are like let's theorize in fantasy land about you know what is inevitable we're just going to assert these things as axioms like he says it's just repeated over and over again and it's assumed to be true but it's a dubious assertion at best and oftentimes, you know, you don't know where the ideas come from, you know, Marx in, the, in this case. And he's like, so, so you're taking what you think is going to happen that you're just asserting to, to happen and with no evidence. And, but just because you feel it or because you feel strongly about it, or you can say it really loudly. And you're trying to put that as a viable alternative or even a, or worse, a superior alternative to what we do have evidence of that works and what actually is inevitable. And, and here's what's inevitable into the system you're proposing, right? Here's, here's where this actually leads. Um, and it's, and it's completely afactual and it just shows the utopian and delusional nature of a lot of these ideas. Yeah. And, and I mean, some of them are, are more sinister than that, I'd say. So the quote here, and I'll paraphrase the beginning of it, but it's like, you know, 
the belief that technological advances like this necessitate planning is absurd as a claim, and, and I'll quote here, implied in a statement by Mussolini that Italy had to abolish individual freedom before other European people because its civilization had marched so far in advance of the rest. That's, yep. that's the claim here. It's like, man, we're so advanced. We got we to gotta break the shell of individual freedom because that's the old way of doing things. Now the new evolved form of doing things is to do this uh, type of planning, you know, and to, to uh, you know, take that, the liberty away and, and introduce a, a central planning board or a central. Uh, What's the quote from Mussolini at the beginning of the chapter? Um, he has a quote. Of, uh, yeah. Of this chapter. Of this I think there's a direct a direct quote from Mussolini. You should you should read that. He's because quoted this him a few times. <laughs> yeah, this isn't Hayek speculating here about Mussolini bragging about getting rid of freedom, yeah. um, you know, in the name of progress. Uh, this this yeah. is a direct quote. Yeah. So a quote from Benito Mussolini. We were the first to assert that the more complicated the forms assumed by civilization, the more restricted the freedom of the individual must become. So that's, I mean, that's the central idea of uh, fascism, right? Um, so, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got to- The more gotta complicated it is, the more you got to have Big Brother telling you how to do it, telling you how to navigate it. I mean, this is the argument that, you know, comes to my mind is, and of course, is, is, is racist and idiotic, but it's like, you know, getting an, an idea is too complicated. Black people don't know how to go and get an ID or don't know how to use the internet, you know, that we're hearing from the Democrats. And it's like, this should piss people off so much because of how racist and absurd these notions are, but it's like, this is so complicated. Let us take care of it. Let us take care of it. And we're going to take care of it by getting rid of any, you know, you know, voter ID or any type of, you know, system around making sure that we have integrity around our elections and other things. Um, but it, but that's the thing It's oh, this is too complicated. The more complicated it is, the more you got to let us handle it because, you know, you stupid plebs, you know, could not possibly um, understand, you know, the, the ins and outs of this complex society like we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mussolini, by the way, was praised heavily um, by, I'm trying to know what the guy's name is, who is a part of FDR's administration and helped shape the New Deal. I'll think about it here in a little bit. But one of FDR's main advisors visited uh, Mussolini, obviously pre-World War II, and loved what was going on in Italy and said this is he's one of the people who's um, responsible for uh, or advocated for the Federal Reserve and then also, like I said, the New yeah. Deal. Uh, he wrote that this is what we should be doing. Everything Mussolini is what we should be doing. Mussolini was saying, we, we got to get rid of freedom. Um, so, and that's FDR. That explains the New Deal. That explains the, that progressivism in the mainstream United States. Uh, I remember Tugwell, his name was uh, something Tugwell. Was, yeah. He went there, it's in his journals, praising uh, this fascist dictator, saying we yeah. need this in America. I mean, he deserves, uh, I guess, a little bit of praise. It, Mussolini is the most unfortunate person, I think, in, in the history of, of anything because he was an evil piece of garbage but didn't even get like the recognition that hitler got like he's just like in the background just like i, I wish i was more famous because you know i did awful awful things but um yeah yeah got what he deserved i suppose um but if we can move on with the monopolies and, and all this stuff uh you know i have another quote here that that uh it kind of the flip side of monopolies. Uh, and I'll explain after I quote it here. Um, there is yet another theory which connects the growth of monopolies with technolo technological progress and which uses arguments almost opposite to those we have just considered, though not often clearly stated, it has exercised considerable influence. It contends that not 
Not that modern technique destroys competition, but that on the contrary, it will be impossible to make use of many of the new technological possibilities unless protected against competition is granted, i.e. a monopoly is conferred. So he talks about this in the form of uh, protectionism. Um, we must protect this this newer technology that we want to grow. So, you know, I think of here um, the government subsidizing, protecting uh, via other government regulations on solar and wind power technologies, right? These are technologies that they want to implement, this green energy movement, um, that these technologies are just not efficient enough. In reality, they're just not efficient enough, and that's why they don't work. And they all often use a lot of uh, fossil fuels, which is what they're trying to replace to create them, um, ironically. But um, it is... It is government trying to pick this this winner uh, and doing everything they can, which means subsidizing the technologies and also punishing people for using uh, the more traditional technology like like fossil fuels. So um, it is it is government uh, trying to create the monopoly, trying to to dampen competition in order to to pick the winner that they get. And also, just you know, you know, these a lot of these people are making a lot of uh, uh, government money, which uh, government money just translate to to our tax dollars, right? That are being subsidized to to companies that they're they're more friendly with. So you get got to see the corruption inside of that side of planning as well. Yeah, here's a to go into your exact example because one of the things I thought of is I remember like this is one of the parts about by the way like getting red pilled is it's like okay i have to go back and relearn at, like what actually happened um for the last everything um and so but if you can look up so barack obama used a lot of taxpayer um, dollars to fund all these green initiatives you know because hey these are the we got to protect them and um, we got to confer special benefits to them um not like again the market has deemed they don't work but we know they will the mark you know and so let's let's try it out and there's an article from the daily signal that has um 34 companies that um, are either bankrupt or about to go bankrupt. This was written in 2012, by the way, um, under Barack Obama's like green energy initiatives that they receive taxpayer um, subsidies from the government. And so this is all the way from like 25 million, you know, 13 million, 2 million, 5 million, 500,000, uh, 100 million. Um, and so there's at least one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 16, 17, 18, 19 companies on that list had filed for bankruptcy whenever that happened. So the point is, is that there are these people, these benevolent, you know, top-down uh, advocates who are like, well, no, no, we, the government has to, we can decide. We're smarter than the market, right? The, the, the market's stupid. So we have to tell them what works and what doesn't. And so we're going to spend taxpayer dollars on these things. And it's like, well, if it had worked, and this is the problem with the top-down top thing, what Hayek says is it's not responsive. It's not, it, it's always playing catch-up. Because prices and success and failure of things, is, is, it's just baked into it. It's not that nothing is happening. It's that you have to understand what, like, you have to learn how to interpret what the market is saying. Um, and in some cases, for sure, there is corruption. In some cases, for sure, there is, like, people driving other things out of business. I think the Tucker mobile, the, the vehicle in the, where there's the, um, the automobile wars um, in the, I'm trying to think when the Tucker was. It was, like, maybe the 40s or 50s that had all these innovations. And then the... There was these car companies, Ford and um, uh, who was the other big one? Ford and Chevy, right? Get yeah, together GM. and they're, yeah, GM, um, get together to try and, you know, push Tucker out of business, sabotaging stuff. They made a movie about it. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. But uh, I think some of the claims in that movie were dubious. But either way, they're absolutely monopolies do these things. That's what a cartel is, right? When monopolies work together. Um, but the point is, is that it, 
if you don't listen to the market, you're going to have, you're going to have these people trying all these things, spending, you know, billions of taxpayer dollars on things because it's like, I'm just going to make it work. I'm going to force it to work. Like, and, and it still doesn't work. You know, all those companies went bankrupt. You know, I, again, that I was, you were talking about, so I just Googled green energy initiative failures <laughs> under Obama and the daily signal article is the first one that came up. So I could be wrong there. Um, but I've heard Shapiro talk about that before and others who were like, no, like these are, they wanted to, they refused to listen to the market. They asserted this stuff from the top down and you can't make it work. Like you can't, it, your desire for a thing to work is, has no bearing on its workability. I could, I could want square wheels on cars to be a thing all I want, but that will not manifest in those being a good idea, you know, just because I want it to work. I think it's a good idea or I think it should work. I think those are block tires on Canadian cars. I don't know. That's a that's right. <laughs> South Park. Another yeah. another South Park reference. Yep, gonna, yep. This, uh, this uh, episode sponsored by South Park. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, yeah. So there, there's just uh, and and we're gonna get into it more in a little bit. I'm surprised actually. Uh, it seems like a lot of this these quotations are, are based on monopolies, but they they make uh, you know it's it's super important to the, the the thesis of the book to to understand you know how eliminating this type of competition and also eliminating the competition and then blaming the competitors on it like that that's yep. that's the, the little switch that they do they say oh this market is not working this there's a monopoly created uh because of the things we did uh therefore the people in that marketplace are doing it wrong we need more power i mean that's the little switch through they turn around let's let's deviate just for a second here to talk about this kind of middle way um i don't think it was in the notes there but what brought to my mind is let's address because he talks a lot about democratic socialism and people trying to wed socialism with democracy and coming up with this middle way, this third way, by the way, which is what Hitler talked about was creating a third way. But, um, and he, he says, okay, let's look at how this, let's look at how this will play out naturally is that whenever you implement these policies to protect, you know, protect these interests, you create monopolies in the free market. Then when you, once these monopolies are created in the free market, the government then has to assume control of them because they, they can't allow them to continue. So then now the government has the monopolies and the government will not, it'll, the only thing, and once the government has monopolies, it only makes sense for them to get rid of all of the rest of the competition because they have to, the, like the idea behind regulation is you have to have authority over that which you're regulating. And so the government, once it has taken over the private monopolies, will then have to consolidate the rest. Otherwise, they, the plan doesn't work, right? That's how planning works. Everything has to be on board and we're going to push out anything that disagrees. So then now the government controls this, this thing, and now we're back to the thing that you said you were trying to avoid. And so that even this creation of private monopolies under these you know, counterintuitive programs will, will necessitate the government getting involved. Now the government has a monopoly and now the government has all the power. And, and this is, again, planning against competition not planning for competition because it all inevitably gets rid of competition. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, I think one last little bit here on, on monopolies and how, uh, you know, I mean, this quote is, is going to go into a lot of what I think of, because I, I wrote a whole, uh, you know, three series piece on, on healthcare and I was trying to steal man, the idea of universal healthcare and this is government involvement. This is government eliminating competition in the industry of healthcare in order to fill in, uh, their own version uh, of universal healthcare. And, um, the the switch that they do there is it's it's kind of like you know this this thing is so great uh let's just take it over because it's good enough now you know if anyone who advocates for something like universal health care 
Uh, they're like, we already have all these cures. Like, why, why do we need to create profit off of it? It's like, mm-hmm. well, if you would have had this idea a hundred years ago, imagine all the cures we wouldn't have right now because you didn't want to get rid of the profit motive. If they you see know? it as it's, it's what Hayek said, the sorry to interject there, but think about yeah. it in no, the good. beginning chapter when he's like, they see the, they, they don't understand that the things they're wanting to get rid of are the very systems that created and maintain this right now. Right. So, and it's, and it's really the other side of what malice is, is trying to say is like, I, I can just conceptualize anarchy within a thing that works really well in a system that is the opposite of it. Like, no, that's not how that works. And so these people are like, I can conceptualize the system of total government control and lack of competition within a system that was built on the opposite of that. Right. Yeah. Like you can't do that. You can't divorce the prosperity we have now from the means by which we achieved it. You know, that's not how that works. It's a, it's a foundation, not a scaffolding. Yeah. I mean, it's a Henry Ford idea of, you know, I would have given everyone a horse and buggy if I would have done what, what, you know, I yeah. wanted to do. Uh, but it, it is that, you what know, they, if, what the, if, they thought they wanted. Yeah. Or, or if, um, you know, we, we make it a right or we make transportation a human right, we would all get a horse and buggy, which would be awesome, except for a hundred years later where we would all have two cars, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's, it's just that, that is the short-sighted thinking that, uh, has planning completely destroy uh, the market and really prosperity in general. Uh, so uh, yeah, to pull this quote in here, uh, in much of the current discussion on the effects of technological progress, this progress is presented to us as if it were something outside, I believe it's outside us, which could compel us to use the new knowledge in a particular way. So I use us a lot. Um, so here's here's the, the big one. While it is true, of course, the inventions have given us tremendous power, it's absurd to suggest that we must use this power to destroy our most precious inheritance, liberty. That is the, so that this is when I think about healthcare is like we've built up this insane infrastructure of healthcare where, I mean, there are cures that people people would have died of diarrhea, you know, 200 years ago. Whereas now it's just like you just take something at home or you use a modern bathroom and you'll, you'll survive and you have all these liquids available to you. Like, so there's all these things that we have now um, and we've seen the road we took to get to this progress. Why would you veer off that road now? This doesn't make any sense. You're using that power to destroy itself effectively. Uh, to continue the quote, it does mean, however, that if we want to preserve it, we must guard it, it more jealously than ever and that we must be prepared to sac- to make sacrifices for it. While there is nothing in modern technological developments which forces us towards comprehensive economic planning, there is a great deal in them which makes infinitely more dangerous the power a planning authority would possess. So, so I mean, that's the big one. It, it is nothing, none of these changes is forcing us to go to a planned model. You know, yep. we're using the road we took to get there. And to make this complete switch, this about face, we're just taking a completely new, ro- new road here to what we think is the great utopia. <clears throat> we have now just made this much more dangerous. We made these efficient yep. technologies uh, in the power of the wrong people who want to, to accomplish their own goals. That's going to be much more dangerous to the people who would be prospering from them if we'd maintain our path down this road. Yeah. And, and to, I mean, yeah, excellent quote. And like, to tease out the wrong people, you know, people, I've used this example in education before, and and you see this all over the place where in order for people to assume something bad is going to happen, they, 
they often assume that bad motives have to be involved. Um, and, and so, but if they can look at, and this is how a lot of these arguments are made, right? If a person can argue that their motivations are good, um, their intentions are good, that they care a lot, uh, then there's no way that a, a bad outcome could occur or even a, a evil or malicious or destructive outcome could occur because the intentions are so good. And that's not what Hayek is saying. He's saying that society is way more complicated than the tunnel vision ends of, of, of certain people who might have good ideas or good motives, but you can't give them uniform control over things because that will come at a tremendous cost to go back to chapter three of other values, namely liberty and freedom and the, the, the very means in which the society gains so much prosperity and technological advances, both in, you know, just science and, and um, other technologies in the first place, from, from science and medicine to toys, as, as Hayek mentioned, um, I believe, in the introduction. Um, and so either way, he, he, the wrong people isn't necessarily evil people. In fact, evil people are very rarely involved on the onset of these things. They're the ones who take over at the end. Um, and that's what he gets into later in the book is that it's the well-intentioned people who put this into place. And once it's there, go, uh, 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 I'm out. And then the evil people were like, I'm in, thank you for, you know, creating this system for me to exploit everyone else. And also you're up against the wall and shot now. <laughs> um, and so, and I think you had a really good, so, so let's get into that, that quote, um, about, uh, did you have the quote in there about the experts? Yes. So um, the next one will be about, so this is the part where we transition. Let's, let's from end it with this. Cause, yeah. Cause this is such, so, so good. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, well, so this is the part where he transitions. So there's two main points to chapter four. There's monopolistic behavior and how it's used by people who create the monopolistic behavior to create more planning, to centralize more power. And the next part is, uh, the the idea of experts, which is when I started yeah. listening to this originally, is like wow, this is brilliant. Um, so yeah. I don't know if you want to take the quotes. I got all the, the fun yeah. ones. Before. What, why don't Why don't we? Um, can we? I think we could probably sum it up because what I was talking about is is the quote, um, which I didn't see it here, is where he talks about like there's a person who cares about the environment, there's a person who cares about history, there's a person who cares about advancement, and so one of the things that Hayek is saying there. Um, so Hayek gives this example. So to kind of <laughs> Kevin and I just talked about a lot of stuff that we know what we're talking about. You guys are like, okay, yeah. wait, 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 slow down. <laughs> so, so whenever he gets into, and why I mentioned, like put that asterisk next to the wrong hands or the, or the wrong people, um, how it doesn't, it doesn't imply malicious intent. It doesn't imply some nefarious actor. It just implies a limited understanding of the way things work. And so Hyde gives this example of like, these people could be experts on these things. Um, and, and one of the things he says is that like, we all have this picture in our mind um, that especially if you're an expert on something that's like, if we had a conversation and you were a rational person, I could convince you of my perspective. We all have this idea of like, everything I believe is rational and reasonable and it's held up by evidence. And if you're another rational and reasonable person, I could persuade you to my point of view. But the problem is, is that you have that same opinion. And so what do we do whenever we get into a situation where you just have different values than I have? And so Hyatt gives the example of like, okay, so let's say there's an expert on the environment and they're like we don't want pollution we don't want these like decrepit like how like houses with asbestos and all this other stuff in the countryside like we have to deal with that and then there's these people who care about like history and like no we want to keep this picturesque 
cut, you know, cottage, you know, and all, and this, you know, countryside, we don't want um, you to tear down any of that. And then there's the industrialist who's like, I care about technology and I care about growing and advancing society. So I want to create factories or, you know, I want to do these things. And so there are all these people and, and his highest point is all of those people are arguing for planning. All of them are arguing for planning and they don't have any concept in their mind of if there's a hundred people in a room who are all saying we need planning, every single one of them on some level has a very different picture of what planning is and what it will lead to, and they all have different priorities. And so this idea that we're going to have this top-down centralized direction of resources and of the economy via planning um, is, it is unworkable unless you are totally okay with curtailing the values and the freedom and the liberties of other people. Because, you know, as I mentioned before we started recording, is like, you know, Thomas Sowell says economics is not a system of like, providing and creating things, but it's, an, it's a system of rationing. There is a finite number of everything in the world, and, there, there, and the only thing there's an infinite number of is demand. And so he says there's supply for milk, the supply for this thing, the supply for steel is all limited. And economics is the system that uses, it's basically rationing to make sure that the people who want the thing the most, at least most times, get the thing. Um, because there's an infinite demand and a limited supply. And that also goes when you have this top-down thing. What happens if you have all these people that it's like, I want to focus on this, I want to focus on this, and do that at the expense of these other interests? And I thought you had an excellent example of that um, in, in those notes there, this, those we're talking about. But I mean, if you, if I missed anything there, no. uh, please feel I mean, free to I mean, Thomas I Sowell, your example is amazing. Yeah, yeah. so this is a big thing Thomas Sowell harps on, which actually would translate really well here, is you know we have finite resources, but we have an infinite amount of value. There is no zero sum game when it comes to value. And that's what a, an economy is supposed to provide is this production productive value that you keep increasing that allows uh, more prosperity to more people. When yep. you take this free market idea of a zero sum game and put it into a plan, planned economy, you have now created a zero sum game for that value because they have to quantify it because they're the only ones in control of, of the game here. So um, that is the most destructive purpose of, of injecting any sort of, of government into, into um, you know, uh, what could be a competitive marketplace. But when he, he talks about the technical experts here, um, you know, you, you hit it on the head that they're specialists in their own field and they want their own things. And when you talked about before about the well-intentioned people in this arena that can do bad things. This is, that is exactly the specialist. He had a quote uh, here that it is the frustration of his ambitions, his ambitions being the expert, the specialist in his own field, which makes the specialist revolt against the existing order. This is what frustrates those people. It's their ambition that can cause a lot of damage because they're the ones who are told like, all right, you got to get this one thing done. And they, they know this one thing really well and they're going to do it at the expense of other things. So the, the exact idea or the exact person that I thought of here is Dr. Anthony Fauci is an example of an expert, a specialist who is single-minded in his approach to defeating something, something that's something being COVID. And he, he defeated or wanted to defeat this virus, virus uh, at any cost with those costs were social and economic costs that were extremely uh, you know, damaging. So economic, obviously, the, the forced shutdown of the country um, is extraordinarily damaging to not only America, but but the world, because, you know, everyone had to deal with this virus. And also a lot of people rely on America um, for for a lot of different things. So shutting down the economy really, really hurt. And then the social effects of it, 
you know, uh, you know, I told right before we started recording uh, the idea of, of having masks on. You know, I think we have a problem with social media because the biggest problem with social media to me is socializing with people without actually interacting with them personally. Because a lot of what we do is is translated in communication translated uh via you know uh, our bodies and and what we do and the social cues that are extremely important that we've used our whole entire you know human lives um to communicate with each other you know there's a, a joe rogan uh, quote that he's like uh they're talking about um you know reading each other's minds and and if you know if that's possible and, and joe rogan's just like well yeah we read each other's minds every day noise comes out of our face and I can tell what's in your head. That is reading each other's minds. But an important part of that is being able to read the social cues on your face. So wearing a mask eliminates a lot of that type of communication. And now we need to change, you know, just like we had to change with social media and we saw the, the negative effects of social media, especially on the, the younger generation, um, you know, changing this, uh, eliminating, you know, those facial expressions uh, via the mask is extremely damaging. So I'd have a conversation with my daughter who's eight years old, uh, you know, we're fully vaccinated. Uh, we're in a pr really progressive part of the Midwest. So, you know, it's kind of a thing we almost had to do, but obviously the kids didn't have to, and she's in the car putting her mask on. I'm like, you know, you don't have to put your mask on. But she's like, Oh dad, I I'm used to this. Like, why wouldn't I like, there's still COVID out there. I'm like, because you don't like people, it's a good thing to see You know, it was hard for me to explain the social cue aspect. Like people need to know you're smiling. Like it was hard for me to communicate in a grocery store and kind of went, you know, when you let someone pass or let someone go through the door in front of you, you kind of have that smile, but now I'm just kind of staring at them weird and they kind of don't know what I'm thinking. Um, you know, there's that important social aspect to letting people see your face. And she's like, well, you know, this, I, I feel like I've been wearing this mask my whole life. It feels like, you know, a lot of development of her life and that, that is extraordinarily damaging for a generation who's going to be like, well, I grew up doing this. Why wouldn't I just keep doing this? And that's something that was implemented by these experts, by the people that said at any cost at any cost we need to defeat this virus uh and and you know save lives at the expense of uh harming lives down the road unfortunately yeah i mean that was the uh a lot of the conversation last year and where you hear people talking and and asking fauci or they bring him in front of you know uh congress or whatever and he says look i'm a virologist i'm here to think about these things in terms of virology and there are people who were, and I think Deborah Burks said the same thing. And people, of course, you know, criticized Trump for saying, I'm going to listen to these people. I'm also going to listen to economists and everyone. We have to weigh the various costs and effects here. And, and Fauci and Burke straight up said, our job was not to consider what we thought needed to be done in the scope of an economy or the education system or all of these other things. That was not the the context in which we were seeking to address this. We were, we had a, basically a, a one factor here of virus spread mitigation. That's it. We're not thinking about anything else because that's not our jobs. Um, and so, and that's why Hayek says that's the most dangerous person. Really. I don't know if you, if we got to that part of the quote, um, but where he says that those people are the most dangerous. Um, I think he says it would make, uh, this is not to under underrate the um, here. I'll, I'll just read this quote uh, because it's relevant. It says the movement for planning owes its present strength largely to the fact that while planning is still the main ambition, it unites almost all single-minded idealists, all the men and women who devote their lives to a single task, i.e. Anthony Fauci. The hopes they place in planning, however, are the result not of a comprehensive view of society, but a rather uh, very limited 
view and often the result of a great exaggeration of the importance of the ends they place foremost. This is not to underrate the great pragmatic values of this type of uh, men in a free society like ours, which makes them subject of just admiration. But it would make the very men who are most anxious to plan society the most dangerous if they were allowed to do so and the most intolerant of the planning of others. What I want, I'm intolerant of what you want because what I want is the best. And he says, from the saintly and single-minded idealist to the fanatic is often but a step. And he gave that quote about the, it's the frustrated person in their field who most wants planning. And so the point is, is that like, these are the people that are most dangerous that you don't want them to have total control of society because they have a limited understanding of society. So Anthony Fauci is like, I'm not an economist. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not thinking about this from an economic standpoint. Whether if you, and if you put an economist in charge, they might say, I don't want to have any regard for the, for the virus. And so I'm going to do all these other things. And so the point is you have to be allow for the input and the freedom of all of these different people who have unique and specialized understanding in their various fields. Like take an educator, for example, like a good one, not the people who are most often found in classrooms these days, but who they're going to say, we need to have kids in the classrooms. We need to have kids back in schools. We're often the, you know, the first point of contact to learn about abuse and neglect in the home. And so by keeping kids out of schools, you know, there's a lot of abuse and neglect that is going under unreported. And so you have to have all of these voices, but when you only have a limited, like per, a person with a limited scope or limited, um, maybe you say like priority uh, in mind, they'll tunnel vision on that. And like you mentioned, like at any cost, right? So Anthony Fauci, get rid of the virus at any cost, including the economy, uh, children, whatever. There's people now, a, a social justice at any cost, equality or equity at any cost. And so like, these are the people you have to be most wary of. And again, to the point I made earlier, it's not necessarily malicious. It's just narrow-minded. It's, I think, as I mentioned before, I think pride and arrogance plays a huge role in it. Um, you know, one of the things Hayek says here is it's often, they have an exaggerated um, understanding of the importance of their goals. Um, climate alarmists, for example, I think have an exaggerated understanding of the importance of their goals. You know, someone might hear me say, climate change doesn't matter. Not, no, no, no. You don't redirect the entire world economy to some, you know, globalist, you know, great reset, you'll own nothing and be happy kind of thing in the name of, of climate change. That's an exaggerated importance of those goals. I mean, you, you, they're, they're still, uh, just to stick on that for a bit, I mean, the, the, the climate alarmists are still the people who think overpopulation is a, a, a mm -hmm. huge problem, which we know. I'm cool with them not having kids, by the way. Yeah. And also yeah. opting out of the gene pool entirely if they voluntarily, voluntarily. Yep. Um, but, but yes, this is perfectly summed up and I, I would love to, to get Hayek's response because uh, you probably have to write another chapter on this. Just the phrase, listen to the experts, mm. how that has, has run our lives. And even though it's a phrase, just like believe in science, although believe in science is loaded because science is not an ideology. It's not meant to be believed. It's meant to be tested, but it is one of those things that rely heavily on the experts and what the experts say um, about this very narrow field that they're extremely good in. You know, when someone tells me, listen to the experts, you got to say which ones. And, yep. you know, this situation right now is a little too complicated for I have one single minded specialist tell me what to do with my entire life. Right. Yep. So, you know, this listen to the experts thing or even our our uh, society feeling right now coming out of the pandemic seems like it's been run by experts, the experts for the past year and a half. Um, we've kind of beta tested it, didn't we? How'd that and, go? And exactly. Yeah. Um, so 
if you, you know, it's, it, I mean, to me, the pandemic is just like Hayek talked about what happens in wartime. You need some planning in wartime, but it is not a constant state that you want to be in when you're in peacetime. You know, it is meant for the specific short period in time, and you do not want to create your future economy based on this short window in which you needed to plan to, to achieve your goals. We don't want to plan our future economy based on pandemic-like responses. And, and yep. some of the, the, the liberties that we did have to give up, which I think in some cases that, yeah, it, it made sense to, to wear a mask sometimes. It made sense to socially distance. It made sense to do a lot of this stuff, but this is not the constant state we want to be in. Yep. And, and I think if you know, Hayek were around to say that, he'd be, he would highlight this in, in a full chapter to, to say, um, you know, we, we, we have to be able, just like in wartime, we have to be able to uh, bring back competition and to, to go back on the road. Even if you had to sit on a park bench for a little bit because something bad happened, it's time to get back on the road and keep moving forward. Yep. Uh, Benjamin Boyce had a great tweet about this uh, last night where he said, he, it was like a screenshot of like experts say something, something. I think it's about masks. I don't know. And he said, experts is uh, today's local man. Like, or, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. local man says or that, you know, does whatever. And, you know, I, I made the points like everything's inverted. You know, I, it's not going to be long before if you meet some kid who's normal and knows things, you'll assume they're homeschooled. And if you meet some kid who's socially awkward and has all these issues and is eating bugs, you'll assume that they're public schooled and have two PhDs from Ivy League institutions. Yeah. The, the experts um, the experts are the local man, but Dr. Fauci is a Florida man. Florida man, that's exactly right. I was like, yep, Florida <laughs> man says uh, two masks. Um, and so, and, and then also no masks at all. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And it, and it speaks to the, the institution problem because what creates experts, right? The institutions, the credentialing system, which we've talked about before, I think at least maybe uh, 200 times. So um so anyway, yeah. So I think that's a good place. You want to sum up that that last chapter, and then we, that seems like a good place to end it. Um, yeah, I mean, chapter four it really puts it out there. In the, I mean, I love the way he titles these uh, chapters, but the inevitability of planning. It is any excuse people who are advocates of planning can make to move in that direction. Climate, uh, race, and, yeah, social exactly. justice, social whatever. justice. They use, uh, you know, scare COVID. tactics like the the impending monopoly. That's the capital or the the corporation that's going to control your life. Um, they use, you know, the the experts that uh, who should be the ones who should know how to run your life because they try to broaden these experts out to life gurus instead of just people who are really good at this one small little thing. Um, and and so it's really giving all those excuses to the people who are still fighting against it, still saying, like, I don't think I should give up my liberty for all of these things. Um, I think maybe, just maybe, the road that got us here is a road we should stick on rather than mm. completely scrapping it. Because as we covered in the previous chapters, um, you know, they, they're not trying to to make improvements on the road that we're on. They're trying to leave this road for another yep. one. They're trying to leave. They're trying to abandon this road for the great utopia. Yep. And I think just the, my, my final point on that is just going back to the, the general prescience and, and relevance of this work um, is when Hayek mentions at the beginning, all these people advocating for this stuff, this is a Marxian idea. This is Marxian ideology at its core and all of these intellectuals, all of these people advocating for it have received it third and fourth hand and they don't know what they're arguing for, which is why they, if they saw the result of their ideas put into practice to the full, 
most good people would be horrified by it and would be like, no, 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 no. This is not what I signed up for. This is square peg round hole. Like, no. Um, I thought I was, I thought I was signing for something else. And that today is the exact thing. Critical race theory is a Marxian ideology rooted in conflict theory, going back to, to Hegel. I think James Lindsay argues rightly. Um, and there's all these people who you, you tell them, you know, so, he, so let's map, let's do a, a one for one map it. Hayek saying, you're advocating for socialism. This is going to lead to tyranny, the end of freedom. And this is a road to servitude. Socialism is slavery. You know, I think is what he quoted to Tocqueville at, right? And the socialists of that day would say, you're insane. How could you say that? That is not how this works. Here's all my intentions and why they're good and why you're crazy. Take it today. Critical race theory is a Marxian ideology. This leads to, this is arguing for and will lead to straight up um, discrimination and going back to racism and, you know, racist subculture. And this is, this is supremacist ideas and will destroy us. And what do the people say today? No, that's not at all. That's not at all true. Oh, I have good intentions. No, of course, it'll create all of these good things. Um, how could you say that? Um, and just like the socialists then didn't realize they're arguing for Marxian ideology that would lead to Marxian outcomes, that people today arguing for this stuff, whether it's the Green New Deal or whatever thing, um, don't realize it. And they have the exact same incredulous response whenever you tell them that. And they don't know what they're arguing for. They don't know. 100%. Well, uh we're uh, leaning up against uh, almost two hours, getting hour yep. 45. But uh, for those of you listening, listening, watching, uh, this is episode three. So we have two episodes before this. If you haven't listened or watched those, uh, check them out. It's good to just have these in order or you can really any order you want to. But um, as Truman said, there are free resources to find the book. Uh, Audible.com, if you have an Audible account, uh, you get the book for free there as well. So that's how we both listen to it. But um uh, for any other stuff, make sure to check out Truman at returntoreason.locals.com for his locals community. Uh, you can also look at uh, Return to Reason on ThinkSpot. You can do it on YouTube. Uh, you also publish some writing on uh, Medium and then at My Mundane Mind on Twitter. And then you can find me, Engineering Politics, engineeringpolitics.locals.com, Engineering Politics, ThinkSpot, YouTube, uh, ENG underscore politics on Twitter. I publish stuff all over the place. So uh, you can really find my stuff anywhere. But is that it? I think that's it, man. We can call it there. Thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll see you next time. See you. Peace.